Okay, so we are continuing along the chronological life of Jesus, and we are going to be reading in Matthew chapter 27, reading from verse 45. Matthew 27, verse 45. And so we are obviously in the last three hours of Jesus' life. We've been, we've been uh, uh, going through His entire life. We're in the last three hours of His life. So, so, uh, um, but then we're, there's still 40 days of, a resurrection, of, of the resurrected time that He's on earth before He's, he's going to, to undergo His ascension. But this is now from the hours of noon until 3 p.m. on the cross from noon until 3 p.m. on the cross, Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there, when they heard it, began saying, This man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran, and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the rest of them said, Let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So there are three things that Jesus says from the cross in this last three-hour period that are recorded. Three statements. This is the first statement. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me is the translation of it. And now we're going to look at at a couple other portions. The portion in Mark is very much like this portion in Matthew. So we're going to look at the portion in John. Turn to John chapter 19, verse 28. John 19, verse 28 says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put the sponge full of sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. So that's the second thing recorded that he said from the cross. It is finished. And the third thing that's recorded during this three-hour period uh, uh, from noon until 3 p.m. is is noted in Luke, Luke chapter 23, verse 44. And then we'll pull all these together. Luke chapter 23, verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured and the veil in the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And so we know that that is the last thing he said because it says after he said this, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So the scriptures clearly tell us this is the last thing that he said. So in Matthew chapter 27, it's very interesting. He says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. This word Eli, apparently, when it's spoken like this in Aramaic, could mean God or it could be a shortened form of Elijah. The crowds take him as saying Elijah because it says some of those who were standing there when they heard it began saying, this man is calling for Elijah. But we are reading this now, written by a writer who Matthew is telling us, specifically the scriptures tell us, no, this is the Eli, Eli, the God, God term. And he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the only time 
the only time in Scripture that we see Jesus calling His Father God. This is it. 170 times in the Gospels, He calls God Father. He refers to God as Father 170 times. 20 times, it's even more endearing, He refers to God as My Father 21 times. My Father. So if you look throughout the Gospels, you have 170 times Father. You have 21 times My Father. Never do you see Jesus calling God, God. Never. To Him, He had very close fellowship and He referred to, his, to God the Father as Father or My Father. That's it. This is the very period of time that Jesus, when He was in, in the garden, was praying that would not come, but He would then yield to His Father in this. And that is the spiritual separation that was going to occur from 12 until 3 p.m. The first three hours, from, from 9 until 12, He was carrying the sins of man upon Him. Now He is carrying the separation from God. This is the thing that had never been prophesied in the Old Testament, never been prophesied that he would be separated from God, other than it said what he would say in Psalm 22 from, from, uh, uh, um, from the cross, that he would say, my God, my God. That he would die for us had been prophesied. That had to take place. What Jesus was praying would not take place was this spiritual separation from God. Before we became believers... We were separated from God. If you've not yet received Jesus in your heart, you're separated from God. There is a separation from God. A spiritual separation that only comes once we receive Him into our hearts. For Jesus, He had never known a moment of separation from God spiritually until this time, until noon on the cross, on this, this day of crucifixion for Him from noon until 3 p.m. And then at the end of those three hours, it ends. But he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the relationship at this time is no longer paternal. It is judicial. This is a judicial relationship where he is undergoing this judgment. And it says that, that uh, uh, they thought he was calling a, a Elijah. And so then we go on to the portion in John. It says, interestingly... It says, now it's going to shift. It says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had been accomplished, this is in John 19, 28, to fulfill the Scripture, said, I am thirsty. A very interesting thing. Here He is on the cross. He's denied to drink on other occasions on the cross. Now He says, I am thirsty. This is moments before His death. I mean, it's a little bit odd. Moments before, and He knows exactly when He's going to die. Jesus knows exactly what's happening. And He says, I am thirsty. It says that, that they, they brought this, 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 uh, this sponge full of sour wine. And this is probably the very same thing that we read in Matthew where someone ran to get him th this drink. And they put it on a branch. They lifted it up to him. And he, he drank some. Therefore, it says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Why would moments before he knows he's going to die, would he say, oh, by the way, I'm thirsty. Jesus had said, 
in Matthew chapter 26 at the Lord's Supper, Jesus had said, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine anymore until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. It also says, and then they sang a hymn and they went out into the night. Which is a very odd way to close the Passover feast. You don't sing a hymn and go out. You sing a hymn and then you close it with the drinking of the wine. You close it with that fourth cup. You drink this wine. He never drank it. He's drinking it here. He is saying, it is finished. This closes the Passover feast. The Passover feast started in the upper room. The Passover feast is ending for Jesus on the cross. He says, I won't drink it anymore, the fruit of the vine with you, until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now he is drinking at this instance. This is why he says, I'm thirsty. Because they're, they're not allowed to feed men on the cross, but they're allowed to give them something to drink. This is permitted in crucifixion. Jesus said, I'm thirsty. They give him something to drink. He says, I've now closed the Passover feast. It is finished. And this word, it is finished in Greek is, is uh, tetelestai. Tetelestai is this word that they have found. Archaeologists find this. When a bill has been paid, they found an archaeologist, uh, uh, they, they, they found a, 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 a CPA, an accountant's files. And you see in these accountant's files is this word that is written across it, tetelestai, debt paid in full. It is finished means a debt paid in full. Jesus said, debt paid in full. It is finished, complete. The payment is complete. He drinks the wine. He closes out the Passover feast. He's drinking it new in the kingdom of God. When he said, my God, my God, why has, have you forsaken me? He was still undergoing this spiritual separation. That is now complete. It is over. He is reunited. He says, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. It says he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. His head didn't drop. He bowed his head. He gave up his spirit. He gave it up. Jesus is very much in control. It's not like the spirit just magically left him. No, Jesus gave it up. He offered it up. He's again very much in control. But we know from Luke that it is finished is not the last thing he said. Yes, he bowed his head. He gave up his spirit. But it doesn't say. It says he said it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. Well, it could well be, and it is, he said, it is finished. And then maybe he said many other things, and then he bowed his head. It doesn't say immediately after he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head. But it says in Luke, immediately after, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So we know that is his last word from Luke chapter 23, verse 46. Jesus crying out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What does he call God now? Father. Because the separation is done. He has been restored. Jesus died spiritually on the cross before he ever died physically. Jesus was resurrected spiritually on the cross before he ever died physically. Because between the hours of 12 and 3, he died spiritually and he was resurrected spiritually before he ever breathed his last. 
And that's why he could say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And it says, having said this, having said what? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He breathed his last. That's the indication we know that that's the last word. Having said this, he breathed his last. And he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. He offers up his spirit to God the Father. This is, again, a testimony that Jesus is very much in control of what's happening. He was separated from God. He bore that separation from God. And now he's again back, back and very much in control. So this is what we see. But, but now I want to I bring this home. So, we, so we've seen this, this last phase of Jesus' life. We've seen now him separated spiritually from the Father where he cries out, my God, my God. Think about that next time you pray. Think about that. If you want to follow the pattern of Jesus, think about it. We can certainly call God, God. Jesus did. But it is interesting that he called God Father. Father. When he had a relationship, it was Father or my Father. That's it. Or Abba, Father. This word Abba, meaning Father. You go to Israel, you see little kids in Israel. Abba, Abba, you know, they're calling their Father. This is, these are the words that Jesus used. Abba. He never said, Oh God, Oh God, I pray you do this. Oh God, I pray you do that. Not that we can't do it. We're not legalistic. You, you, You can certainly do that. But in the relationship, only when He was separated spiritually did He refer to God as my God. Other than that, it was always my father. In his, in, in, in his context, it was Abba. Or my Abba. That is what he was saying. So now we want to look at, what does this mean? What you have just seen is a life poured out for another. This is a life that has been poured out for another. Jesus poured out his life for us. This is the model that He has set for us. This is the model of Christian life. You want to see the model of Christian life? It is a life poured out for another. The man who discipled me the most in my life was a man named T.E. Koshi. He introduced me to another man named Brother Bak Singh of India. When he passed away, he was out on a, on a preaching circuit. They told him his heart was weak. They had told him for 10 years his heart was weak. So did he sit home for the last 10 years of his life and say, well, my heart is weak. I think I'll just sit home. No, he just continued to preach. He just continued on the circuit preaching. And he was out in Illinois. He lives in New York. He was in Illinois on a, on a, a, a preaching event when he, he had a massive heart, heart attack. And, and uh, he died shortly after that. To me, I thought that's the greatest way to go. I mean, to the end, his life was poured out. What do you want to be in a hospital? Uh, How do you want to go? I mean, isn't it better to go this way? To have a life poured out for the Lord. This is the model that Jesus set for us. Where we pour out for another let me just mention, you might, you might think it, it, it says that darkness came over the entire land. Darkness came over the entire land. You'd think that this would be recorded in other documents. If darkness for three hours, 
from noon until three, which is the dark, which is generally the lightest period of the day, if darkness fell. And in fact, they found three other writings of this, three other writings of this day, darkness falling over the land. Two of the records come from Egypt, which is just uh, uh, southwest of Israel. One of the writings uh, uh, comes from Asia Minor, which is today's Turkey. One of the writings. So let me read you this. Uh, let me just read you a couple of the, of, of the writings. One is from a man named Dionysius. Dionysius was a Greek scientist. There you go, scientist. Greek scientist living in Egypt. And he, was, he reported seeing the darkness in the city of Heliopolis in Egypt. And so he, he had recorded that. That was, that was one record of it. The second writer was a Greek scientist living in Egypt. His name was Diogenes. And what Diogenes writes is really quite interesting. So Diogenes records this, but he also writes this, quote, There was a solar darkness of such like that either the deity himself suffered at that moment or sympathized with one who did. That's what, that's what uh, uh, this, this man Diogenes wrote. And he, he was a pagan, and he wrote this, but he saw this, this great darkness. There was another one, uh, the third reference to this is, is Phlegon. Phlegon was a Roman writer and, uh, uh, from Asia Minor, and he was a freedman. He's he a freedman by the emperor, and here's what he wrote. Quote, There was a great and remarkable eclipse of the sun above any that had happened before. At the sixth hour of the day, it was turned into darkness of the night, so that the stars were so that the stars were seen in heaven. That's how dark it was. So he says from the sixth hour, that is noon. That's exactly like the New Testament records. Noon, that, that, that it got so dark you could see the stars, he wrote. Then he says, there was a great earthquake in Bithynia which overthrew many of the houses in Nicaea. And we're going to talk about next week about the, 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 uh, uh, the miraculous events that occurred during this time of, of crucifixion at, and at this point of death. And it's, it's actually recorded here, this earthquake, which the New Testament also records. So, so there is archaeological evidence that, again, bears exactly what we're saying here. But what I want to do is I want to look at, at Galatians chapter 6, because we're following along this concept of a life poured out is what we've been called to. This is the life of a believer. So I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians chapter 6. And we're going to start reading from verse 2. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2. It says, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and, therefore, and, and, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. We've heard of the Old Testament law, the 613 commandments of Moses. There's the law of Christ. The law of Christ is this. You bear one another's burdens. This is the Christian life. It is bearing another's burdens. If one were to think of this purely analytically, purely analytically, one would think that the most selfish person would be the happiest. Because I'm selfish, anything I want, I get. It's all for myself. I get all the stuff I want, so I'll be happy, right? But life itself shows us that it's very different. That people who are selfish are unhappy. 
People who are selfish are generally miserable. And they make life miserable for everybody around them. But again, analytically, one would think that they'd be the happiest. I get the car that I want. Nobody else drives it. Nobody else even sits in it because I don't want, I don't want to get it messed up. And I, don't, I only go where I want to go. Don't drive anybody else anywhere. You should be the happiest, right? Because it's always what I want. It says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Now let's look in verse 7 of Galatians chapter 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For to whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. If you are selfish... The world will be selfish with you. If you are selfish, the world will be selfish with you. But if you are gracious and giving, you will experience things like, how come everybody's so good to me? You will. And it says, the Scriptures talk about blessings that come. It talks about in Luke chapter 6 that, that, that uh, uh, blessings just come and they will, they will be falling into your lap so much that they would be spilling over. Let me give you a testimony. My wife wakes up in the morning with a list. And on her list is things that she's going to do for people that day. That's her life. She's got a list of things she's going to do for people that day. And she's got so much blessing, I just follow behind her and pick up the blessings that fall out of her lap. When you are gracious, when you are giving, you will reap many, many good and gracious things. And you will see the world differently. If you are selfish, you will always feel like the world is shortchanging you. Why is everybody always so mean to me? Well, because you're mean to everybody. That's why. You're just reaping what you've sown. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. If it is always about me, if the whole thing is about me, I'm going to reap from my flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. When you spend time with God, when you will sacrifice the things that are dearest to you, like your sleep, to rise up in the morning and to spend time with God and fill your life with the Spirit. You will see your life will begin to change. You will reap, from the, you will reap eternal life. Your life begins to change. Again, analytically, one would think, well, the person who gets the most sleep is going to be doing the best off, right? No. The person who dedicates their time so that they're going to get up in the morning and spend time with the Lord and so goes to bed at a certain time so as to be able to get up and spend time with the Lord and fill their spirits and commune with the Holy Spirit of God, their life is totally different. I mean, you can just see it in their face. They're just different. It's like, wow, I just want to be around you. You can feel, you know, just something around you. When I'm around you, I feel like you're tight with God or something. 
you reap from the Spirit eternal life. Then he says in verse 9, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith, meaning to those in the body of Christ. He says, let us do good to all people, especially those in the body of Christ. He says, don't grow weary of doing good. And while we have opportunity, what does that mean? It means that while you have your strength, you do it. People ask us, you know, how long have you been doing these lunches? When are you going to... Until we don't have strength, we will do it. There will come a day when Shireen doesn't have strength, where I don't have strength. But to this point, as long as we have the assets to do it and the strength to do it, we will pour it out. You take a life poured out, it is a happy life. It really is. You pour out your life to God because your physical strength will not last forever. I know you're really strong, but there will come a day. Your physical strength will not be there. So while you can, while you have this opportunity, do it. Just before this class meets in here, the class of the seniors class, there's a lot of people come in here with walkers and have very little strength. They can't do a lot of things. That day will come for you unless you're taken out in a burst of glory, which is not a bad way to go. But while you have strength, let your life be poured out in service to the Lord. Jesus' life is a life that was poured out for others. Our lives should be that way too. You bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. When we do things for others, God blesses our work. Really, God blesses what we do. You take time to prepare a Bible study. It takes all that time. You know, I have a real major, you know. I, you know, everybody thinks they've got the real major, the hard one, you know. And 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 uh, um, and you have to pour your time into it. But I've seen this. I've seen it with my own eyes from the time that I was a student. I lived in the discipleship home in my last two years of college, where there were ten guys living in this house, and we went through discipleship lessons while we were going to school. And there were guys that couldn't attend the discipleship classes because they were always so busy, couldn't attend the outreaches because they were always so busy. And I saw, no matter how smart they were, this guy, he was so smart. And he did well in his classes. And he was just primed to go and work for IBM. IBM was like, like the Google. You know, you, you know, 35 years ago, IBM was like Google. It was the place that, that all high-tech people wanted to go work for. You know, it wasn't this old behemoth of a company. It was, it was the place. And people went and they worked for IBM and they spent their whole lives there. I mean, people didn't move around like they do from job to job, three years here, three years. I mean, people spent their whole life there and you got a good retirement and everything. And he was just all primed to go to IBM. And I remember seeing him get the phone call from IBM where they declined him. And he was just trying to talk. Well, could, couldn't you just reconsider? I mean, it was just... Already his world was beginning to close. If you look at it just purely from the world, this guy should have been hired in a heartbeat. He was smart. He was articulate. He was good looking. I mean, he had everything. And then there were guys that had 
poured out their lives for others and they were getting hired for the jobs that they wanted. I've seen this with my own eyes. I've seen doors open for people because they had given their lives for others. You will reap what you sow in life. If you are selfish with your time, with your money, the world will be selfish with you. You will reap what you sow. But because we are called to follow the law of Christ, meaning law means you break it, it's not going to go well. The law of Christ is you bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. He says, and don't be wary of, of doing good. Well, you know, I, I taught a Bible study just for, you know, for three weeks. Isn't that enough? I'm saying a life poured out is what he calls us to. A life poured out. I saw a young couple. You know, they, they had read in the Old Testament that, that uh, if, it, when a man marries, he should not go to war for an entire year. That's what it says. The purpose of that was so that he could raise up offspring for himself before he had to go to war and possibly get killed. But this young couple read that and they said, well, okay, we're not going to do anything. We're just, we just might come on Sunday, but we're just going to kind of focus in on each other for a year. And I mean, and each of them had been serving so mightily in the church as unmarried couple. Now they were married and they did nothing. And after a year, they were so patterned at doing nothing, they continued to do nothing. You know, you pick up bad habits, it'll stay with you. You pour out your life. And now when you get married, you pour out your life for others. It is a life poured out that brings blessing. And that is what Jesus demonstrated for us on the cross. And that is life itself. He even goes so far as to say, and from the Spirit you will reap eternal life. Let's pray. Abba, Father, thank you so much for what you have spoken to our hearts through your word, for the demonstration of a life poured out in Jesus Christ, that he poured himself out to death, and that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Lord, I thank you for what you've done, and I pray for these young people here that you'd so get a hold of their hearts, that they wouldn't be selfish with their time, selfish with what they have, but they would learn to pour it out as Jesus did. And not just for short periods, but for their entire lives to pour it out while they have opportunity, while they have strength. Lord, may their lives be poured out for you. Father, I pray for your grace to abound upon them. Draw them close into a place of fellowship with you. And let their lives be poured out. Father, for those who are not diligent in reserving a time of the day for You, Father, may they from this day see that reconstituted. See that so that they would take up from this day a time to spend with You. And that You'd give them opportunity and that they would seize the opportunity to serve others. And Father, for those here who don't know You, who have never known what it is to be able to call God their Father, who have never known what it is to have fellowship with God, who have never received Jesus Christ, Father, I pray Thee that You would so work on their hearts that they would come to Jesus this day. 
And if you have never accepted Jesus in your heart, pray with me. Pray with me this day. Repeat this prayer with me. Father, forgive me because I am a sinner. Forgive me and wash me clean. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and I believe that He's risen from the dead. And Lord, I pray that as you you would take these young people and those who give their hearts to You this day and draw them close, that they would know this fellowship, the fellowship with God, the Father and the Creator of the universe. Father, Your grace abound upon them, I pray. Lord, may Your life be glorified through their lives. And for all for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen.